Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at Easy Day Prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things at facebook.com slash ballisticradio. Hey, Joe. Hey, John. That last episode was great. Thank you. I really liked it. I, I I appreciate that. I sure hope that the that a similar guest is also on next. Well, I have I've got news for you. That is in fact what's going to happen. So what I'm always kind of curious because like you have to sit through these, like, yeah. And, and like occasionally, like I can tell you're like, eh, you've got everything on autopilot. And you you've got and that's cool. But like, it's always funny to me because you're not a gun person. You're not um, a self defense person no. or, or whatever like label you want to put to it but it, it always means a lot to me when you listen to a show and you're like hey that was really cool it's like oh cool it was the guest did a good job um, I, sure, I sure hope we get a similar guest soon well i'm gonna say that i i really appreciate you setting that segue up for me but i i gotta i gotta say something first what's that john hey this segment's also brought to you by centurion arms even if you're just a cook a lowly lowly cook are you calling tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease? You need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work, and Centurion Arms knows it too. Veteran-owned and operated, Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. Whether you just need a new rail or barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rifle, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit CenturionArms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. So speaking of how awesome the last episode was and how cool it would be if we had a similar guest on this show, hey, it's Chris Seipert. Mind blown. Yeah. Hey, Chris, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you, John? I'm, I'm doing pretty awesome, actually. Um, Good deal. Me too. So it, it's funny whenever I record episodes, you know, I, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful to, to be able to do what I do. Uh, I understand just, you know, how lucky I am that the number of people that have helped me get to where I'm at have helped me and that I get to do something that a lot of people don't get to do. And I get to make a pretty good living doing it. Like I'm, I'm super, super aware of all those things, you know, but it is still work. So generally if I have to record episodes, Whenever, you know, whenever I'm I'm going into it, like the first episode, there's always like two or three minutes uh, before the show and maybe even at the beginning of the show, if I'm being honest, where it's like, eh, I got to go to work. And then like I remember what, you know, I sort of remember, oh, yeah, I really enjoy doing this and I'm really lucky to do this. And it, it's kind of like a mood boost. Does that does that make sense? Kind of? Uh, no, I, I, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, work, 
work is work, no matter how awesome your work is. But if you have really cool work, eventually those those bright moments shine through 100%. Yeah. Um, so for those that maybe missed your last appearance or don't know who you are, um, since, I mean, this is actually only the second time I've been able to use your last name. So you're not just, you know, in retirement, you have a name. Um which I I got the Fight Club reference last episode, and I very much appreciated it. And I, nice. just, I want to thank you for that. But uh, who are you, and I guess what are you going to be doing with yourself, and, and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, so my name is Chris Seipert. Uh, I work for Citizen Spence Research, a company you well know, uh, and I'm going to be putting my skills to work uh, training you know, armed, uh, armed citizens and uh, you know, any law enforcement want to come out and train. Uh, prior to that, I uh, just, just retired from 20 years in the uh, United States Army. I served most of that time in U.S. Army Special Forces, colloquially known as Green Berets. Uh, I served as a Special Forces medical sergeant, um, you know, Green Beret uh, medic, uh, and was also an instructor for a number of years in advanced skills uh, at our Special Warfare Center. Um, and so that, that's, that's me, and uh, I look forward to uh, going forward in retirement and, and taking my, my skills as uh, a trainer and my experiences and passing those on to uh, armed citizens. So <clears throat> the last episode we were we were sort of discussing um this headlong rush towards violence that at least the vocal sides of the various issues inside of our country right now seem to be if not actively calling for some are uh at least very willing to entertain as like a um, an okay outcome, right? Like, eh, whatever. I, it's not so much that you wish somebody would, but if, if they did, you, you'd be okay with it. Uh, and I'm not saying us, I'm just saying general attitudes on, Mm -hmm. on either side of an issue. I, I don't necessarily want to talk about that more. Um, just because there's a certain emotional energy that that requires from me, at least. I don't know about you, but it mm-hmm. it's getting old, you know, and, and, and I'm willing to yep. do it because it needs to be done. But, man, it's a bummer, right? What yep. I would like to talk about, though, is I guess people's perception of violence and what what makes uh hold on not necessarily what makes people good at it but what are skills that we need to develop to be comfortable with it and and proficient at it and and what people think those are versus what your experience tells you are and maybe maybe they're the same thing maybe you know everyone's got a great handle on all this and these are the things that you need to do if you want to be prepared but i i have a suspicion that that's not true and and I'd kind of like to get your thoughts on it. So, and to frame that a little bit better, um, what people think you need to work on or should work on to better pre- pre- prepare yourself either to perform or receive or deal with violence versus what your experience tells you. Does it does that make sense? Yeah, that's uh, I know absolutely. Um, <clears throat> And this is, this, this is actually kind of a cool, uh, a cool segue from our last, uh, you know, our, our last, um, last episode. So the, the fundamental, um, the, one of the fundamental problems with, not, not even, not even problem, uh, 
one of the fundamental aspects of our society that I've observed over my lifetime is that <clears throat> most people are incredibly uh, ignorant of, of violence. Um, and that's, that's a good thing. I mean, that, that's, that is a, uh, you know, that, that's a testament to the, you know, the, the civil nature of our society over most of our lifetimes and everything else. Uh, and most people don't know what they don't know, which is, which is why you get, and your listeners of the show will greatly appreciate, you know, which is why you get like, oh, you know, well, why didn't that person who was using a gun in self-defense shoot that person in the leg? Well, it's because this person, you know, that's saying that has no clue how hard that would be and how impossible that is and blah, blah, blah. But like, people generally don't understand violence. They're not, um, they're not uh, witness to it. They're not, you know, part of it. And that's, that's overall a very good thing. Um, that, being, that being said, that, that also leads to a lot of misconceptions, as you, as you hint at. Um, I think one of the biggest... Uh, I think one of the biggest misunderstandings about violence that people have is that, generally speaking, um, people who are very experienced in violence, I uh, have seen a lot of it, um, number one, avoid it. Uh, and so, like, that's, that's number one skill is uh, – is, is learning how to avoid violence. And, and, and if there's any other, you know, which goes back to our last episode, if there's any other avenue I can take to solve my problem that doesn't include violence, I want to use that one. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, and, and Mark Bowden in, in his book, Black Hawk Down, uh, quoted, uh, uh, quoted a, 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 a Delta Force operator. Um, and uh, and I've, I've, I've heard Paul Howe say this since then, so it might've might been Paul Howe, but uh, said that basically, you know, War is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, war is a crazy thing in that you can have one of the world's finest, best-trained, most well-equipped warriors who can be shot in the face by a seven-year-old with an unzeroed AK-47 from down the street who just blindly stuck it around a corner and pulled the trigger. Uh, so violence is pretty random, number one. Uh, and, and because it's so random, like, you can train, you can, you can hone your mind and your skills, you can build the... Uh, you know, awareness, tactics, skills, you know, have all the tools uh, and literally just walk into a bullet from some random, you know, criminal with a high point who's got no training and die. Um, and because of that randomness, if you can avoid engaging in violence, uh, then avoid engaging in violence uh, would be number one. Um, does, does, that, does, does that make sense? Is that, is that speaking to what you're, what you're wanting to know? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, hey, I'm just, I'm just going to throw them out over the plate and wherever you hit them i'm i'm i am willing to uh to try and field them you know what i mean so okay. i i don't cool. i don't have a specific agenda uh as such okay. uh we do have to go to break though so i i kind of have a follow-up question to that or at least a, a quote that that will be appropriate but um we'll get to that in a second right now you're listening to Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research on Ballistic Radio. I did that weird. I'm sorry, everyone. But, hey, it works. All right, break. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat makers the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories as well as the EDC X9 series of firearms 
which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity as well as reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. And so you were, you were essentially speaking to avoidance. And there's a, a quote from, I want to say, Jeff Hall uh, that is essentially there is an element of risk in every encounter. And, and I guess what you're saying is that people don't really acknowledge that so much. Uh, no, um, I think that, uh, there's, there's almost kind of a, um, there's almost kind of a, a bell curve, if you will, when it comes to, um, willing to, willingness to accept risk as it relates to violence. And, and again, this is just my own, you know, my own personal opinion. Uh, but something that I I've observed is that, yeah, you've got people that have, and let, I mean, let's just take fist fights. Um, you know, it's almost like a, uh, um, you know, mixed martial arts or, you know, people that train, you know, train this martial art or that martial art, you know, fist fighting, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's some meme floating around the internet that's like, uh, and it might actually be like the onion or Babylon B or something, but it's like, you know, average, average male overestimates his ability to fight by 4,000% where you've got kind of this Dunning, Dunning Kruger curve where, uh, you know, dude who's never been in a fight. You know, but he's grown up on, you know, movies and MMA and stuff, and he can't wait to get into a fight. Um, and he's chopping a bit. He's the top amount stupid, right? Especially if he's, like, watched some YouTube videos on how to punch or grapple or whatever else. Uh, and then he goes out, he gets, in, he gets into a fight, and it sucks. And even if he wins, he's all bloody, and his knuckles are scuffed up, and he's got teeth marks on himself, and, you know, he got poked in the eye. and Like, man, that was no fun, especially, you know, if, if you really got to hand it to him. Then, then that guy who's experienced a little bit of violence is going to be less and less um, you know, less and less eager to engage in it because, like, man, violence is, sucks. Um, there's an, and uh, you can lose and you can get hurt. Uh, and then eventually you get, you know, as people engage in more violence, uh, they, they can arrive at a comfort level with it where they, they can basically, at least from an emotional standpoint, be like, okay, you know, I, I know the risks and, and I'm, I'm – I can make sober, realistic assessments on whether it's worth it to engage in violence in this instance or not. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, the people that are most eager to engage in violence are either uh, naive people who are completely ignorant of its implications or are so practiced at it that, you know, it's just second nature or they're psychopaths. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that the vast majority of Americans um, in our society today don't have a Efficient exposure to violence to really appreciate how important <laughs> avoiding it is if there's any other way to do so. Well, and there's an interesting dichotomy there that, like, I want to try and express this, but I, I, I know that it's going to sound flippant, and I don't mean it to. And so I, I'm, I'm just saying that ahead of time so that if someone listens to that and, and think, listens to what I'm about to say and, and thinks I'm being very cavalier about it, that's not my intention, but I, I don't know any other way to say it, or at least it's not coming to me right now. But it, it's kind of like Schrodinger's box almost, but people are both incredibly hard to kill and incredibly easy to kill at the same time or at least potentially. Uh, does, do you kind of get what I'm, 
I'm getting at there is like there's no you you don't know what level and, and to be clear, I'm not saying that we're trying to kill anyone if we're talking about um self defense or anything like that, but just just as an observation, like you don't know what you're gonna get, right? Right. Yeah, and it's and going back to the the ran, randomness I was going back to a few a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, I teach I teach medical classes. You know, both uh, the service members, our, our foreign partners, are taught, uh, and and you know, and the civilians as well. And one of the things that I always talk about is, so on the one hand, the human body is this amazing machine of compensatory mechanisms uh, that will keep you alive through unbelievable, untold amounts of damage in a lot of cases. But as you say, there's also that randomness where, you know, there's, there's people, you know, hit by 18 wheelers and knocked off overpasses that fall 40 feet and land on their heads. And then they like get up and dust themselves off. You're like, holy crap, the body, you know, the human body is amazingly resilient. And then there'll be somebody else who just gets sucker punched outside of a bar and falls, you know, four feet from standing and hits their head on the curb and dies uh, because they just hit in just the right way to rupture a blood vessel in their brain. And you don't, like you said, you don't know what you're going to get. There's, there's a randomness to it. Um, and generally speaking, violence professionals, for lack of a term, and I, I'm talking to people that, that um, give and receive violence as a way of life, uh, understand this. And so they understand that violence isn't to be engaged in flippantly or lightly. Uh, and then also, if, if you are going to engage in violence, then make sure that you set the conditions uh, and, and shape the environment into your favor as much as humanly possible, which is something I'm a huge proponent of. Uh, that stack stack all of the variables in your favor so that the actual execution of violence is a relatively simple academic matter. Now, so the, the first thing that we covered, I guess, and to circle back around, we're, we're talking about, like, people's, um, I guess, perception of what, they should work on to be proficient inside of this. Like, hey, I'm not I'm not looking for trouble is a good place to start. In fact, I'm actively avoiding trouble. And and anybody. Hold on. If you're ignorant to this or learning this, um, like you don't know what you don't know. But anybody that is training people with this who says different is a moron. Like just just flat out. So so I'm not making I'm not making that statement at like the ignorant student, and I don't mean ignorant in a perjurative sense, but just like you don't know what you don't know. But like, it, as far as like anyone that disagrees with that as a concept, who has spent any sort of time studying this, I I question their intelligence. Is is, is kind of what I'm saying. I don't know if that makes sense or not, or if I stumbled through that. But but so that's like issue number one. All right, hey. This is something that we want to avoid at all costs unless it's absolutely necessary for multiple reasons. Um, like not even talking about aftermath reasons, which are important, but just like the actual encounter itself, you don't know how it's going to go and it doesn't matter how good you are. You still don't know how it's going to go. And I guess the best example of that, and, and I want to be respectful in saying this, but you brought it up. Um, you know, if you had to guess how many millions of dollars of training have you received? Would you say? And I'm I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna use you as a is just sort of a generalized example of something, right? 
Um, you know, I, a few, like between between the pipeline, advanced schools, uh, team team training. I mean, you know, uh, you know, team trainups before deployments. Uh, you know, I mean, millions at five million. Let's say I just wild guess. I have no clue. Right, but a lot of money. And and that's not even to count essentially a lifetime of work, not only in the stuff that you're learning, but the other things that you need to work at to be able to do the stuff that you're learning and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, there, and the reason why I bring that up is, you know, there are multiple individuals that have received a similar level of training or more who, you know, sacrificed everything and and were essentially killed by people who had received zero training and yep and and i i want people to think about that for a second and again i'm trying to be incredibly respectful of of, you know the men and women that that have lost their lives and and dedicated their lives to something that they believed in and and made that ultimate sacrifice but the reason i bring it up is that if someone that embodies the you know, the apex of, of human will and ability can lose inside of those situations where where they've the they they are the best that a incredibly powerful nation can produce and, you know, are still taking casualties, then you need to understand even if this is what you do a lot compared to the rest of the country, that that you can lose. Right? Does it does that make sense? And and hopefully the hopefully you understand what I'm trying to do there, like even bringing that up. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, fundamentally, the in a, you know full full disclosure, and you 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 may well uh, know this about me. So within um, within a a isolated peer group of people who you know, have similar experiences and um, you know, experience and training and so forth uh, to me, you know, both, both civilian and military, but just in terms of you know, people that have been exposed to a lot of training and a lot of uh, circumstances, I do tend to um, have, I want to be careful how I say this, I do tend to, there are certain principles um, there, there are certain, there are certain circumstances in where I would say, yes, I would be willing to use force to defend myself. I, you know, basically refuse to comply and, you know, defend myself in this circumstance where other people would say, no, just, you know, give me your car keys, give me your wallet. Uh, it's not worth your life kind of thing. And, and I, and I don't want to get sidetracked into that, but I also have, and here, here's the key thing. I've made those choices about, you know, what, I guess, principles and what hills I'm willing to fight and die on um, from a frame of reference that is soberly based on a realistic assessment of, of, of all the facts is I'm not, I'm not deciding like I would comply in this instance, but I would not comply in this instance and I would resist no matter what. I'm not making that, that assessment out of ignorance. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been in similar situations before where I've had to make those decisions and I would make them again kind of thing. Uh, and so for a lot of people who aren't you know, fortunate enough to have some of the experiences and training that I've had, and, I, and it's been a tremendous privilege for me to, to be exposed to that stuff, it's, it's harder sometimes, I think, to, for people to make those, those decisions and for folks who've 
maybe not been ex- exposed to as much violence, that's when I urge them very strongly to like, trust me, a- a- avoid avoid skinning that smoke wagon at all costs if you can, um, because as you say, you know the the the, the outcome is is never certain. Right. Um, um, yeah. Well, we got to go to break right now. We're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research, and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from ModLite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and now you need an optic on your carry gun? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those. Glock accessories? Yes. Fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're we're speaking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. And, you know, so we've we've sort of covered, and we spent the first half of the show talking about this, so this should sort of solidify in everyone's minds that we both feel this is important enough to dedicate Fifty percent of this topic to, if mm-hmm. you can avoid it, do that. Um, you know, so if that's primary misconception number one, that people who are unfamiliar with violence or unfamiliar with the practical sides of violence make when they are, you know, thinking about this stuff or romanticizing this stuff at the the beginning of their journey. What mm-hmm. what's the next one? Do you think is there anything that you've observed in your experience? Um, because you've been, you know, you're new to teaching with citizens defense research, but you've been teaching for quite some time. People that are actually applying the things that you're teaching them in a real world environment. Is there anything that that you have observed as okay? Um, people who are coming to you already pretty well trained are just they're not getting it until after after they get some more time out of it. like it as far as like the concepts of violence goes did, does that make sense um, is the question yeah 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 it does um so so when we started this conversation and and uh i think that so, something else and i can't you know it's, it's tough to prioritize on the fly but but in terms of stuff that's not talked about um and stuff that like you, know, you might be new to your listeners. Another another aspect of violence, uh, another principle of being successful at at violence, you know, whether it be you know personal or societal or whatever else, is um, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to to phrase this is bring your friends and uh, uh, bring bring your bring your friends to the fight. Don't don't go it alone. We we have a tendency within the the applied violence community, and a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, identify with this. Uh, it tends to be the, the the community, if you will, tends to be a community of like individualists, 
uh, you know, independent types. You know, that's part of the reason they, you know, like I want to be able to protect myself and my family on my own and not depend, any, depend on anybody else. And that's that's absolutely where, you know, where you want to start as a starting point. Um, now, that being said, we, we have a tendency to, um, you know, like even reaching back to last, last episode and talking about like civil wars and that kind of thing, people have a tendency to, I think, you know, in the, the romantic revolutionary in their head, it's just them and a couple other dudes running around and doing stuff. Uh, but it, it, to accomplish anything meaningful, you know, a couple of dudes running around doing stuff never accomplished anything meaningful. Uh, it takes, you know, a team, a network, uh, a collection of people working together, cooperating. Um, and so whether it be the family unit where, um, you know, if somebody were foolish enough to come at, you know, myself and my family, when we were out shopping for groceries. Well, the whole family doesn't go anymore, but under more, under more normal times, well, they wouldn't just have to continue with me. They would have to continue with my wife and my, my teenage kids know what to do. Uh, and we had a, we had a plan, um, that involves multiple people, uh, mutually supporting one another, just in my family unit. Uh, if somebody were to accost us and likewise, um, you know, I, I think you do need to be able to, if you are alone, protect yourself when you are on your own. Uh, but the the next key to being successful in violence, and obviously that's a broad topic, but but I would say that's that's true for, um, you know, soft guys and that kind of thing as well. Is like if you're, you know, if you're part of a special forces team in an Afghan village, like your security isn't just yourself, but your security is any Afghans that you can. Um, foster any loyalty towards you to where they become your early warning and they'll come to you and say, Dr. Chris, Dr. Chris, uh, you know, the Taliban are over here and they say they're, they're going to kill you guys. Okay. Well, Hey, thank you. Thank you for you know giving us that information. Um, that's where your security comes from is through relationships and basically broadening your ability to um, project a defensive posture through not only yourself, but your loved ones, family, friends, um, and building a network of people uh, who can uh, provide a buffer against the, the world's unpredictable violence, if, if that makes sense. Well, it's kind of the idea that, you know, I can, if I'm out in public, I can see a lot. Uh, I'm looking mm -hmm. for a lot. And, and, you know, you can probably see more than I can, and you're looking for more than I am. And, and that's something that, you know, comes with knowing what to look for and things like that. But as far as inside of our own... I guess interpersonal relationships and and just our our life in general. It, two sets of eyes is better than one, and three sets of eyes mm -hmm. is better than two, so forth and so on. And that's not even getting into you know capabilities, which which is a right. another conversation to have. Is that kind of what you're getting at? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's just, it's one of those things where like, um, you know, for, for example, as, as people, uh, you know, they, they talk about civil unrest and that kind of thing, like preppers and, 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 and this kind of stuff, uh, you know, invariably, like kind of the, the prepper cliche, if you will, uh, is, you know, that I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got my stockpile of food and water and I'm going to hold up in my house. I'm going to board up my doors and my windows. And it's going to be like me and my family and my gun pointed outward and I'm going to protect my castle. Um, when in reality, that, that person uh, is going to be a lot easier to overwhelm than the person who knows his neighbors. Uh, and I think this is maybe a little too nuanced for, for how much time we have left, but um, the guy that knows his neighbors 
um, and they are all looking out for one another and builds a community, like an entire neighborhood of people who are you know, mutually supporting one another uh, to where if a you know, stranger, you know, some, some weirdos, panhandler, possible criminals, whatever, you know, make their way into the neighborhoods, then all of a sudden the, you know, people are picking up the phone and saying, hey, just, just so you know, you might want to bring your kids inside. There's some real sketchy dude, looks like he's kind of cracked out walking down our street right now. Okay, thanks for the heads up. Let me get my kid and bring him inside. Um, basically a community of people who know one another and have, and have, uh, are cooperating for mutual defense are going to be a lot stronger than just one man on an island, you know, with his, with his doors and windows boarded up kind of thing. And that's true whether it be the family walking into and out of a shopping mall. That's true of like, you know, neighbor, neighborhoods and communities, whether it be, you know, be on the lookout for, for violent crime, property crime, that kind of thing. We tend to like, I'm going to rely on myself and only myself. Uh, and, and I think that you can start there, but from there, branch out and, and forge you know, solid relationships with your friends and neighbors around you and figure out how you can support one another um, and protect one another from, from violence. When, and to bring it, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself, um, if you spend a lot of time with the same people, there's no reason that you can't start if they're interested. And that that's maybe a, you know, Actually, that's probably an entirely different show, but there's no reason that you can't start making them an asset versus a consideration. You know what I mean? Like, because mm-hmm. uh, um, sometimes you're around people and, you know, they're a liability. Like, there's no other way to say that. If, if something happens, they, they, are, they are something, they are a risk that you need to mitigate, um, whether... Mm-hmm. Uh, as a target or just as a distract, what have you. And do you think that we don't, as a community, spend enough time, um, I guess, thinking about how to solve the issue of how do I make the people around me an asset if something goes sideways? Yeah, and and I think... uh... Yeah, 100% kind of where I'm going with it in terms of, of not just the – because violence is a broad topic. Obviously, we're talking about, like, a violent criminal actors victimizing people or whatever else. But I'm, I'm kind of just getting into the broader theory of, of, uh, of cooperation makes us stronger. Because so I think we, we have a tendency to get into that kind of, like, lone wolf, I'm on my own. And, like, that's a good starting point. But like you say, you, you know, let's say I had a, a neighbor uh, – a neighbor with me who is a uh, a liability um, who's like, you know, we've gone to the range together and he's unsafe with guns and he's not really interested in being any safer with guns. Like basically, yeah, I don't want this guy. Like if there's, if they're, you know, if, if our society just straight collapses, like we were talking about last episode, like I don't want this guy like stacked up behind me, you yeah. know, as we're going to do something, you know, because, because he will probably shoot me in the, in the rear end. Um, on the other hand, He's got a huge reloading press in his, you know, in his, in his work, you know, and a workbench out in his garage and can reload. Um, cool. Well, I'm going to like figure out what I can do for that guy to where he'll like, you know, where I can leverage like his, his ammo uh, on my behalf. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've probably read the book World War Z. Yeah. Um, yeah. By, by the zombie, zombie apocalypse fiction. Uh, really good book. But there, there was an excerpt in there uh, talking about, and it's fictional, of course. They were talking about how, like, there was this, uh, you know, it was like a, a, an elderly pharmacist who basically had access to medication and knowledge of, like, medication interactions and stuff like that. And he had no self-defense skills, but he survived the zombie apocalypse 
because there were some like hardcore, super violent gang members who had a grandmother who had like a particular disease and they needed someone, you know, it basically he, what kept him alive is his pharmaceutical abilities uh, to both access medications and make sure they were dispensed correctly and everything else and keep this gang leader's grandmother alive. Therefore, that gang leader kept the pharmacist alive. And I think when it comes to violent, like more than just violent crime, but actual like civil unrest and that kind of thing, I think one of the keys there is, is it's like if you're a listener and you're not a hardcore shooter who's well-practiced violence and combatives and all this stuff, cool, figure out what you can do to contribute to, to a small group of people um, and, and find someone who will help keep you safe and vice versa. It's, it's, we, we tend to get into this, like I said, lone wolf thing, but I don't think it has to be that way. And if you can find people who have skills that can assist you, you can then figure out what you can give them in return because uh, I think the kind of the death of the neighborhood and community and immediate physically prox you know physically proximate tribe of people in America has led to a lot of our disconnects and if people got to know their neighbors and work with their neighbors in kind of a mutual mutual support for not and not just violence but natural disasters calamities all this you know stuff that's kind of befallen us um, I think we'd be a lot better off and a lot better prepared if we figured out how we don't necessarily have to be an individual that has all the answers, but we need to surround ourselves with individuals to have all the answers and integrate each other into a, uh, a structure or network that, that can answer the challenges of the day, whatever they may be. Right. Um, we got to go to break. Right now we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Um, so we're talking with Chris Seipert from Citizens Defense Research, and we're, we're sort of, dis- I guess we're discussing misconceptions of violence, or at least we're using that as um, sort of a sounding board, and then, you know, whatever we talk about is whatever we talk about, which I'm happy with. But I guess my... Here's something I would I would like to get your opinion on and maybe have you wax poetic about for a moment or two or rant what what whichever mood takes you. So something that in my experience as as an instructor and even my personal experience as something I did in the past which you know we all started somewhere I guess. Um one of the th- things that I run into very often is you present someone with a situation or they view video of a situation or something like that. And I bet you can guess what I'm going to say they say, but it's essentially some variation of, well, I would just X, Y, Z. Can you talk about that as a uh, decision-making and planning model and perhaps point out some of the deficiencies in that way of thinking? Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I would just, um, which if there's, that's probably the most constant, uh, uh, constant thing on the, on the, the internets, the gun internets of, you know, people watch uh, a video of a violent altercation or range drills, you name it. And everybody's got an opinion and everybody's an expert um, and everybody knows exactly what they would do. Um, the the inherent the inherent problem with that, and this kind of goes back to an ignorance uh, ignorance of violence and that kind of thing. Um, and and I'll give you uh, yeah. 
So uh, the the problem with um, just watching a video and saying what you would have done is that I mean it's obviously incredibly easy to do that um, in hindsight and watching the outcome. You know, like okay, well they should they zig when they should have zag and everything else. Um, the problem is is that while I, I'm actually a huge fan of watching video and soberly assessing like what could have been done better. Um, I don't think it's helpful to just trash people who did you know stuff differently than what than what we did or anything else because frankly, one video doesn't show the whole story. Two, um, the the effects of adrenaline, the effects of you know some of the physiological um, some of the physiological uh, phenomenon of people suffering violence as it relates to uh, the sympathetic nervous system. Um, you know, which your listeners, many of whom are probably familiar with when it comes to tunnel vision, uh, auditory exclusion, where they basically can't hear anything or can't hear anything other than something very specific right in front of them. Um, there's a whole lot of factors and phenomenon that go on that you physically experience when you encounter violence or encounter, encounter novel, uh, potentially dangerous situations that you, you don't experience while you're watching a video. And so watching video by itself, if you don't have violent encounter experiences on which to draw while watching that video uh, is very, very insufficient. Um, now, I would say that like somebody like you or I or you know, a lot of friends of ours can probably do a better job of watching violence videos having been in similar situations either in training or in real life and, and say, okay, um, I'm going to get some mental reps at wargaming this because I've been in that situation before. And I know what I, right now that guy's you know, ears are, you know, his, his heart's pounding in his ears and he's got tunnel vision and he's sweaty and like he's having a hard time hearing the guy who's yelling at him and ranting at him who looks like he's about to hit him. Um, but for most folks who've never been either in force on force training, scenario based training, or they've never been in like, you know, multiple visit, uh, violent encounters in real life, uh, it's very hard to replicate a whole bunch of the emotional and involuntary physiological and psychological responses to violence uh, that affect people's decision-making in the moment. Right. Well, and so you bring up like force-on-force training versus, um, you know, actual encounters. And and so you are much more versed and experienced with actual violence than I am. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. I, 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 I put that disclaimer out there just to make sure that people don't think I am saying or claiming something that I am I am not making that claim even a little bit. Um, now, I have been in some violent encounters, uh, more than more than one, less than a dozen, you know, whatever. And and a few of them could have been really, really bad. But the the thing that's interesting to me in comparing those to my experiences in force on force training, um, the force on force training was actually more stressful in many ways for me at least and and i i don't know if i don't know if i'm just weird or if that is something that you've encountered yourself or is if that's something that other people have related to you and and the only reason i'm bringing that up is to sort of demonstrate the value of putting yourself in those positions but did you have an opinion or thoughts or yeah uh so i i think and and this is it's a peculiar, peculiar human emotion, but I, I think you're uh, 100% right. I think that most people uh, with exposure to uh, like real-world violence and uh, force-on-force training would actually agree with you. 
Uh, and there's a couple of different reasons for that. One um, is anticipation. Um, I think that violent encounters are, uh, you know, a lot of times, like, you know you're in them once they've begun. Um, and then once they've begun, you act. And then you basically, the big adrenaline dump and everything else happens after the fact, uh, depending on how long it lasts, obviously. Right. Uh, it's a little bit different if you're landing landing on Omaha Beach on D-Day, then, yeah, you've got a lot of anticipation and everything else to work out. But but for more, like, you know, from my experience with just, let's just say, the classic, like, Afghanistan, we're going on a foot patrol thing, um, you can't be keyed up all the time. And, and it seems bizarre, but, you know, I'll tell you right now, like, guys go on patrol, and you, you keep your head on a swivel, and you stay switched on, but you, you can't just stay, like, in a, in, a, in a state of anticipating, like, gunfire every single moment. So, you know, your mind wanders, you're on patrol, whatever else, and then boom, violence kicks off, it's happening, you're doing what you were trained to do, what you've practiced, what you've rehearsed, what you've planned, uh, you know, within, you know, minutes or, you know, maybe hours, but, but generally, you know, um, depending on the environment, you know, within, within minutes it's over, and then all of a sudden it kind of hits you and you do the adrenaline dump afterwards. Um, but, you know, when the violence kicked off, you were thinking about, you know, man, I hope when I, I hope, I hope at some point today I've got time to watch, you know, the bootleg copy of this movie or whatever. Not that I would ever do that. Um, and so on the flip side, in force on force training, um, you have an audience usually, you know, there's a whole bunch of other students standing around watching you, evaluating you, uh, you know, seeing how you react to the scenario, just like you did with them when it was their turn five minutes before or five minutes from now. Uh, you've got an expert instructor who's, who's constructed a scenario where, uh, he wants to see something, you know, there's a right answer or a wrong answer. And, and rather than thinking like, man, am I going to get hurt? Am I going to get killed? You're like, man, am I going to screw up and look like an idiot in front of all these people? And so again, one, the suddenness of real world violence and the lack of anticipation tends to make it a little bit easier to deal with than anticipatory violence, like in a force on force scenario where you're basically thinking about it for 30 minutes while you're watching other people go and like, man, I hope I don't screw up. I don't hope I don't screw up. look stupid. Then you actually do it. Uh, and then again, you then you, you critique afterwards, but people weirdly are more afraid uh, in a real and concrete way of being ridiculed and looking stupid than they are of being hurt, largely because we're going back to the whole ignorance of violence things. Most people like don't, don't really have any understanding of what it's like to be shot. Um, and so they can't really be afraid of it if they don't fully understand it, whereas people do have an understanding of looking stupid and being ridiculed, and so they're terrified of that. And so I think that force-on-force force training actually does a fantastic job, especially if it's in a really good group of trainees with a really good instructor, and everybody's kind of like, man, I'm in the fishbowl, everybody's watching me, and if I do something dumb, they're all going to laugh at me. It produces a tremendous amount of stress, which I think is extremely helpful uh, for preparing yourself uh, for violent encounters. So... <clears throat> And and the reason I bring that up is because for well, to be clear, is so can force on force be a, a replacement for actual experience, or do you need that actual experience? Or and, and this is like a three part question, I guess. Or <laughs> is is for most of the people listening the event they're probably only going to have one event in their life if they ever have an event in their life. So it can, I guess can force on force adequately prepare you if you're not an armed professional or did, do you kind of get what I'm asking? And I'm yeah, no, for I, whatever reason, this is clumsy. Absolutely. Um, no, absolutely. And, and I think, I think it is 
Um, and frankly, as you point out, it doesn't really matter whether it's sufficient or not, uh, because as you say, most people aren't going to get the opportunity to go out and have like one, you know, all right, I'm going to go out and get into violence and violent encounter so that I know my training works so that when I get into my real, like, that's not the way it works. Like you say, most people, you know, might have one or none in, in their life, especially if we're talking about lethal force. Um, no, so, so absolutely force on force is, uh, very sufficient. Something I do want to clear up uh, as somebody from a special force background is, is you'll hear people talk about, you'll hear people bash like, gamers and competition shooters and this and that and the other and 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 one you'd be shocked at how many special operations guys also compete and and even if they don't compete in USPSA or something like that they compete with each other on the range um you know in the same style just amongst their teammates um but like this idea that like Jerry Mikulik you know because he's not a gunfighter is somehow less dangerous than somebody who is a quote unquote who's been in gunfights is inherently stupid. I can tell you right now, I'm not stepping in front of Jerry Mikulik if he's got a gun in his hand, period, because he's just going to murder me. Because uh, <laughs> he's really, really good. Um, and likewise, if you've got somebody who's built up their technical skill with their firearm, with their OC spray, their their jujitsu, you know, their their striking, everything else, and then they refine their decision making and their tactics and their awareness and force on force training, that's as good as it gets for uh, the vast majority of people. And again, is is it? I don't want to say nice because that's not the right word. Is it beneficial if somebody? gets into a violent encounter and prevails and validates all their training so that they have that much more confidence? I mean, sure, yes, yeah, absolutely. But that's not a realistic option for most people. You can't, you know, like, you're not going to go out and get into a gunfight to train for a gunfight. But if you engage in technical training, range training, and then validate it, validate your decision-making stuff and force on force, um, you know, that person who's a, let's just, let's just say, a hypothetical USPSA grandmaster uh, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, who then goes through, uh, you know, Shiv Works ECQC twice a year, uh, and and various other force-on-force schools, um, and you know, pressure tests his training. That day, when somebody like steps out with a box cutter at a gas station and tries to carjack that guy, is probably going to have a terrible day, even though that guy's never experienced quote-unquote real violence. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of force on force. And for anybody who doesn't get to just engage in real violence on a regular basis, which is 99.9% of people, uh, seeking out force on force training to supplement your technical training is 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 the the way to go. Well, so we're at the end of the show, but I actually want to talk about this because I don't know that this gets discussed enough. But experience gets thrown around is is kind of like a a trump card, right? Uh, well, so and so hadn't done it, so and so has, so whatever. But I, I'm going to, and I've never actually thought about this before. It just sort of came to me as you were talking. So it might not be a fully formed concept, and I could be absolutely wrong. I'm not saying that this is something that I am, like, I am certain of. But it occurs to me that really all experience does for us is give us confidence, which in turn just shortens our, our decision-making cycle so that we our reactionary gap is, is less than it would have been otherwise. And, and perhaps um, uh, better able to factually interpret the information that we're receiving so there's not as much novel stimuli there. Or do you, do you see what I'm saying? I, I'm, trying yeah, to, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to like actually quantify the benefit of experience. Um, hmm. almost. Yeah. So, 
so I agree, agree on the novel stimuli part. Um, you know, that, that there's, there's, uh, you know, there, there's a reason that like the universal basic training experience for like the army and Marine Corps, and I don't know about the Navy and the air force, but is the whole, like, you know, the, the, the crawling a hundred yards under machine gun fire with machine guns shooting over your head. Um, you know, the, the just basically uh, inoculating you to novel stimuli kind of thing, to where it's easier to, to keep your head and make decisions. And I agree with that. Uh, the other the other benefit of experience can be, um, but is contingent upon learning lessons. In other words, like, man, I was I was trained to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I did X, Y, and Z, and this is what worked, and this is what didn't. So I'm going to modify my tactics and techniques based on you know based on my experience. But if, if you don't learn from and modify your behavior based on that experience, then it's just stuff that happened to you. Uh, and so there are people who've been in a million gunfights who didn't learn anything from any of them uh, and are just kind of mouth-breathing knuckle-draggers who can't then distill those lessons learned because they didn't learn any lessons, distill those down for other people. Um, and that experience is not valuable. On the other hand, you can have a single experience uh, that reveals something tremendously valuable to you, and that experience is valuable. So really, experience is only as valuable as, aside from the, the uh, stress inoculation and novel experience uh, inoculation, aside from that, the only value to experience is what you can learn from it that will allow you to improve your, your tactics, techniques, and procedures. Hmm. Um, and, most, and most people are not going to have repetitive exposure to that kind of experience which is why you go to force on force training that is hopefully informed by somebody who does have a lot of experience. Okay. Um, man, I want to talk about this more, but I like, I really want to talk <laughs> about this more, but I don't want to make Joe sit in the booth, uh, longer than I told him we would have to. So we are unfortunately going to have to put a pin in this conversation. Um, Chris, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know that your schedule right now is insanely busy. Um, but it really means a lot to me and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to being on the range with you and, and teaching with you and, and all the stuff that we're kind of cooking up right now. Um, but, uh, is there a final thought that you would leave people with? Um, you know, I, I think it would be, uh, in terms, in terms of violence, uh, do what you can to, uh, read, uh, you know, Read, read the memoirs and books of people who do have that kind of experience and do a real sober self-assessment of, of both yourself, your, your temperament, your personality, uh, and, and try, to, try to figure out where to go next on making yourself comfortable with and able to cope with uh, violence should it uh, raise its head in your life. Uh, and just make sure that you're doing those sober self-assessments and, uh, and look out for yourself. That's it. Perfect, man. Hey, give my best to everybody there. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother? All righty. Take care, John. All right. Hey, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And, hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. It really helps us out. Uh, but only do that if you think we've earned it. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe and see you next week. Dude, that was cool. Um, I, you're like, ugh. Uh, I, I'm sorry that I don't plan these things better. I know that...